Book One, Chapter One of Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth R. Moorfield. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald. To the memory of the man who stands highest in the oratory of my memory, Alexander John Scott, I, daring, presume to dedicate this book. Countrymen, my heart doth joy that yet, in all my life, I found no man but he was true to me. Brutus in Julius Caesar the author desires to have it understood that not a single poem in this tale is of his own composition. The poems are, however, his property, and appear for the first time in print. The careless work of a friend of his boyhood, he has not even trimmed them. Robert Falconer by George MacDonald Part 1. His Boyhood Chapter 1 a recollection robert falconer schoolboy aged fourteen thought he had never seen his father that is thought he had no recollection of having never seen him but the moment when my story begins he had begun to doubt whether his belief in the matter was correct and as he went on thinking he became more and more assured that he had seen his father somewhere about six years before as near as a thoughtful boy of his age could judge of the lapse of a period that would form half of that portion of his existence which was bound into one by the reticulations of memory for there dawned upon his mind the vision of one sunday afternoon betty had gone to church and he was alone with his grandmother reading the pilgrim's progress to her when just as christian knocked at the wicket gate a tap came to the street door and he went to open it there he saw a tall, somewhat haggard-looking man in a shabby black coat. The vision gradually dawned upon him till it reached the minuteness of all these particulars. His hat pulled down onto his projecting eyebrows, and his shoes very dusty, as with a long journey on foot. It was a hot Sunday, he remembered that. Who looked at him very strangely, and without a word, pushed him aside and went straight into his grandmother's parlour, shutting the door behind him. He followed, not doubting that the man must have a right to go there, but questioning very much his right to shut him out. When he reached the door, however, he found it bolted, and outside he had to stay all alone in the desolate remainder of the house till Betty came home from church. He could recall, as he thought about it, how drearily the afternoon had passed. First he had opened the street door and stood in it. There was nothing alive to be seen except a sparrow picking up crumbs, and he would not stop till he was tired of him. The royal oak down the street to the right had not even a horseless gig or a cart standing before it, and King Charles, grinning awfully in its branches on the signboard, was invisible from the distance at which he stood. In at the other end of the empty street, looked the distant uplands whose waving corn and grass were likewise invisible and beyond them rose one blue truncated peak in the distance 
all of them wearily at rest this weary sabbath day however there was one thing then which this was better and that was being at church which to this boy at least was the very fifth essence of dreariness he closed the door and went into the kitchen that was nearly as bad the kettle was on the fire to be sure in anticipation of tea but the coals under it were black on the top and it made only faint efforts after immeasurable intervals of silence to break into a song giving a hum like that of a bee a mile off and then relapsing into hopeless inactivity having just had his dinner he was not hungry enough to find any resource in the drawer where the oat-cakes lay and unfortunately the old wooden clock in the corner was going else there would have been some amusement in trying to torment it into demonstrations of life as he had often done in less desperate circumstances than the present at last he went upstairs to the very room in which he now was and sat down upon the floor just as he was sitting now he had not even brought his pilgrim's progress with him from his grandmother's room but searching about in all holes and corners he at length found Klopstock's Messiah translated into English, and took refuge there till Betty came home. Nor did he go down till she called him to tea, when, expecting to join his grandmother and the stranger, he found, on the contrary, that he was to have his tea with Betty in the kitchen, after which he again took refuge with Klopstock in the garret, and remained there till it grew dark, when Betty came in search of him and put him to bed in the gable-room and not in his usual chamber in the morning every trace of the visitor had vanished even to the thorn stick which he had set down behind the door as he entered all of this robert falconer saw slowly revive on the palimpsest of his memory as he washed it with the vivifying waters of recollection end of book one chapter one